says himself out loud every day. Last week, I am there, and he would answer, yes, sir, I am. And then he would say, they can serve her up, and he would reply, yes, sir, I'll do that. Then he would say, look out now, don't even fool you. And he would say, oh, no, sir, I won't, I won't. Meditation cannot be a fragmentary thing. It should be a continuous effort. Every moment one has to be alert, aware and meditating. But the mind has played a trick. You meditate in the morning and then you put it aside. Or you pray in the temple and then forget it. Then you come back to this world completely unmeditative, unconscious, as if walking in a hypnotic sleep. This fragmentary effort won't do much. How you can be meditative for one hour if you have been non-meditative for twenty-three hours of the day? It is impossible. Suddenly becoming meditative for one hour is not possible. You can simply deceive, because consciousness is a continuum. It is just like a river flowing constantly. If you are meditative, you have to be meditative the whole day, every moment of it. And only when you are meditative the whole day, the flowering will come to you, never before it. This vain anecdote looks absurd, but it's very meaningful. The Master, the monk, used to call himself, this is what meditation means, calling yourself. He used to call his own name and he will say, are you there? And he himself will reply, yes sir, I'm here. This is a effort, a deep effort to be alert. You can use this, it will be very helpful. Suddenly walking on the street, you call yourself, Tirtha, are you there? Suddenly thinking stops. And you have to answer, yes sir, I'm here. And it brings you to a focus 
when thinking it stops and you are meditative, alert. This coming to himself is a technique. Going to sleep, putting off the light in the night, suddenly you call, are you there? In the darkness, alertness comes, you become a flame, and inside you answer, yes, I am here. And then the monk used to say, Sadharat, be sincere, be authentic, don't play the game. He used to call himself Sadharat, and he will answer, yes, I will make every effort that I can. Our whole life is a fooling around. You can do it because you are not aware. How you waste time, how you waste energy, how finally life is wasted, you are not aware. Going down the drainage, everything going down the drainage. Only when death will come to you, you may become alert. What I have been doing, what I have done with life, a great opportunity is lost. And what you were doing, fooling around, you were not sober. You never reflected upon it, what you have been doing. Life is not just to pass. It is to reach somewhere deep within you. Life is not on the surface. It is not the circumference. It is the center. And you have not reached to the center yet. Sabara. Enough time is already wasted. Be alert and see what you are doing. And what you are doing? Either searching for money, which is finally, ultimately useless. It is again, again, the money game. You have more than others. You feel good. Others have more than you. You feel bad. It is again. But what is the meaning of it? What you gain out of it? Even if you have all the wealth that this world contains, at the moment of death you will die as a beggar. So the whole wealth of the world cannot make you rich. Gains cannot make you rich. So up. When somebody is after power, prestige. When somebody is after sex, and somebody after something else. But all is a game. Unless you touch the center of your being, all is a game. On the surface, only games exist. And on the surface is not the real. On the surface are only waves. And in those waves you will only suffer. 
and drift. You will not be anchored into yourself. When this monk used to come, Sabadhaw, he was saying, don't play games. Enough. You have played enough. Don't be foolish anymore. Use life for anchoring. Use life to gain roots. Use life as an opportunity to reach the divine. You are just sitting outside the temple, just sitting on their steps, playing games, and the ultimate is waiting just behind you. Knock and the doors shall be opened to you. But you have no time left from the games. Sabara means remember what you are doing, why you are doing. Even if you succeed, where you will reach? This is the paradox, that whenever a man succeeds in these foolish games, for the first time he becomes aware that the whole thing has been nonsense. Only those who never succeed, they go and carry in the game. Those who succeed, they suddenly become aware that nothing has been reached. Ask the Alexanders or ask the Napoleon what they have gained. It is reported of Alexanders that when he died, he told his coach that when you carry my dead body, in the streets, let my both hands hang out. Don't cover them. This is rare because nobody is carried that way. The court couldn't understand. They asked, What do you mean? Because this is not the usual way. The whole body is hidden. <coughs> Why you want your both hands hanging out? Alexander said, I want it to be known that I am dying with empty hands. Everybody must see it and nobody should try to be an Alexander again. I gained much and I still gain much. My kingdom is great but I am still poor. You die a beggar, even if you are an emperor, and the whole thing seems like a dream. Just in the morning, the dream is broken, all emperorhood disappears, all kingdoms disappear. Death is an awakening, and that which remains in death is real and that which disappears was a dream. This is the criterion. And when this monk used to call Sabar, he meant this. Remember that and don't fool around. You go on in such a way as if you are not going to die ever. 
your mind says death always happens to others never to me it is always a phenomena happening to others never to me even if you say a man dying you never think that i am dying in him his death is symbolic and the same is going to happen to me if you can see that you are going to die will you be able to play this game so seriously putting your whole life at the stake for nothing the monk was right to call in the morning sabar whenever you start playing a game again with your wife in the shop in the market in politics close your eyes call yourself and say sabar and the monk used to reply yes sir i will do every effort that i can and the third thing he used to remember in the morning and why in the morning because morning sets the pattern the first thought in the morning becomes the door hence all religions insist at least for two prayers if you can be prayerful that is the right thing if not that at least two prayers one in the morning one in the night because the morning when you are fresh the sleep has left you and consciousness is arising again the first thought the prayer the meditation the remembrance will set the pattern for the whole day that will become the door because things move in a chain if you are angry in the morning the whole day you will be more and more angry the first anger creates the chain then the second anger follows easily then the third becomes automatic then you are in it then whatsoever happens around you creates anger to be prayerful in the morning or to be alert to calm yourself to be mindful sets the pattern in the night also when you go to sleep the last thought becomes the pattern of the holy sleep if the last thought is meditative the holy sleep will become meditation if the last thought is upset then the whole sleep will be disturbed by sexual dreams if the last thought is of money the whole night you will be in the market purchasing selling <coughs> because a thought is not an accident it creates a chain then things follow and similar things follow at least twice mundane say at least five times beautiful because if a man is to pray for five times in the day 
it is almost a continuous thing. He has to remember. Now the morning has come, now the afternoon prayer, now the evening prayer, now the night has come. Even there are gaps, but two prayers are so near that they become joined together. Look at Mohandan's prayer. They are most beautiful prayer people. Hindus don't look so prayerful. In the morning they will do. But a Mohandan has to do five times a prayer, only then he is a Mohandan. A simple rules, but five times continuously remembering sets the pattern. It becomes an inner flow. You have to come again and again to it. And between two prayers, it will be difficult to be angry. Between two prayers, it will be difficult to be greedy. Between two prayers, it will be difficult to be aggressive and violent. But the fundamental thing, if one can do, is continuous. No need for five prayers, because still there are gaps. And you are so, so cunning, you can fill the gaps with something which is wrong, and then your prayer will be affected. Then it will not be a real prayer. You will be praying, but inside, deep down, the wrong current will go on and on and on. In the morning, this monk used to call himself, because Buddhists don't believe in prayers. They believe in meditation, and the distinction has to be understood. I myself don't believe in prayers. My emphasis is also on meditation. And there are only two types of religious people, one prayer type and another meditation type. Buddhists say there is no need to pray. Just be alert, aware. Because alertness will give you the prayerful mood. No need to pray to a God. Because how can you pray to a God? You don't know. Your prayer is groping in the dark. <coughs> you don't know the Divine. If you had known Him, there would be no need to pray. So your prayer is just groping in the dark. You are addressing someone you don't know. How can you address? And how your address can be authentic and real? How can it come from the heart? It is just a belief. And deep down there is doubt. Deep down you are not certain whether God exists or not. Deep down you are not certain whether this prayer is a monologue or a dialogue. Whether there is someone who is listening and will answer, or I am alone talking to myself. This uncertainty will destroy the whole thing.
Buddha emphasized meditation. He says there is no need for the others, no well you are alone. At least that much is certain that you are. And base your life on something which is absolutely certain. How you can base your life on something which is uncertain, doubtful, which exists only as a belief, not as a knowing. But what is certain in life? Only one thing is certain and that is you. Everything can be doubtful. I am here talking to you. You may not be there, it may be just a dream. You are here listening to me. I may not be here. It may be just a dream because many times in dream you have listened to me. And when the dream is on, it looks real. How can you make the distinction whether this is not a dream? How can you make the distinction between the real and the dream? There is no way. About the other you can never be certain. There is no way to be certain about the other. About yourself you can be only certain. The only certainty that is there is you. Why? Because even to doubt yourself, you have to be there. The father of Western modern philosophy, Descartes, is started by doubt. He doubted everything because he was in search of something which cannot be doubted. Only that can become the base of a real life, authentic life. That which can be doubted that which has to be believed cannot become the real foundation. The foundation is shaky and you are building a house on the sands. So he doubted everything, the God can be doubted so easily. The world can be doubted. It may be just a dream. The others, everything he doubted. And then suddenly he became aware that he cannot doubt himself. Because that is contradictory. If you say that I doubt myself, at least you have to believe that you are there to doubt. You can say that I may be deceived about myself, but there is somebody who has to be there to be deceived. <coughs> the self cannot be doubted. Hence Mahavir doesn't believe in God. He believes only in the self because that is the only certainty. You can grow out of certainty. You cannot grow out of uncertainty. When there is certainty, there is trust. When there is uncertainty, there may be belief, but the belief is always hiding the doubt. So many people come to me, they are thieves, they believe in God, but their belief is just skin deep. Poke them a little, push them a little, shake them a little, and they become doubtful. And they become afraid. What type of religion is possible if you are so much in doubt? Something indubitable is needed. 
महावीर बुद्धा बोथ एम्फोसाइज मेडिटेशन दे कैंसल्ड प्रेयर बिकॉज दिस एड हाउ यू कैन प्रे यू डोंट नो द डिवाइन यू कैन नॉट रियली बिलीव यू कैन फोर्स ए बिलीफ बट ए फोर्स बिलीफ इज ए फॉल्स बिलीफ यू कैन आर्गू एंड कन्विंस योर सेल्फ बट दैट वॉन्ट हेल्प बिकॉज योर आर्ग्यूमेंट्स योर कन्विक्शन आर ऑलवेज योर्स एंड द माइंड गोज ऑन वेबरिंग सो बुद्ध एंड महावीर बोथ एम्फोसाइज मेडिटेशन मेडिटेशन इज अ टोटली डिफरेंट टेक्निक नो नीड टू बिलीव नो नीड टू मूव टू द अदर यू आर अलोन देयर एंड यू हैव टू वेक योर सेल्फ दैट्स वॉट दैट मॉन्क इज डूइंग He is not calling the name of Ram. He is not calling the name of Allah. He is calling the name of Himself, only Himself, because nothing else is certain. He calls His own name. Are you there? And he doesn't wait for any God to reply. He replies Himself, Yes, sir. I'm there. This is the Buddhist attitude that you are alone there. If you are asleep, you have to call yourself. You have to answer. It is a monologue. Don't wait for any God to answer you. There is no one to answer you. Your questions will be lost in the empty sky. Your prayers will not be heard. There is nobody else to hear them. So this monk seems foolish. But really, all those who are in prayer, they may be more foolish than this monk. This monk is doing the most certain thing, calling himself and answering himself. You can make yourself alert. So I tell you, your name is the mantra. Don't call Ram. Don't call Allah. Call your own name. Many times a day, whenever you feel sleepy, whenever you feel that the game is taking over and you are losing in it, call yourself. Are you there? And answer yourself. Don't wait for anybody's answers. There is no one to answer you. Answer that yes, sir, I am here. And don't answer verbally. Feel the answers. I am here. And be there. Alert. In that alertness. Thoughts stop. In that alertness, mind disappears, even for a moment. And when there is no mind, there is meditation. When the mind has stopped, meditation has come into being. So remember, meditation is not something done by the mind. It is the absence of the mind. When mind ceases, meditation happens. It is not something out of the mind. It is something beyond the mind. And whenever you are alert, mind is not. So we can conclude: your sleepiness is your mind. Your unawareness is your mind. Your somnambulism is your mind. You move as if drunk. Not knowing who you are, not knowing where you are going, not knowing why you are going, 
And the third thing the mangas, remember not to be fooled by others. Others are fooling you continuously. Not only you fooling yourself, others are also fooling. How the others are fooling you? The whole society, culture, civilization, is a collective conspiracy. That's why no society allows rebellious people. Every society requires obedience, conformity. No society allows rebellious thoughts. Why? Because rebellious thoughts make people aware that the whole thing is just a game. And when people become aware that the whole thing is just a game, they become dangerous. They start going beyond the society. Society exists as a hypnotic state. And the crowd is a hypnotizing factor. You are born. When you are born, you are neither a Hindu nor a Mohammedan nor a Parsi. You cannot be. Because consciousness cannot belong to any sect. Consciousness belongs to the whole. It cannot be sectarian. A child simply is innocent of all nonsense of Hindus, Buddhists, Jains. A child is pure mirror. The society immediately starts working on the child. A mold has to be given. A child is born as a freedom. Immediately the society starts killing his freedom. A mold has to be given, a pattern. If you are born in a Hindu family, your parents start teaching you that you are a Hindu. Now, they are creating a hypnotic state. Nobody is a Hindu. And this child is innocent. He can be befooled. This child is simple. He will believe the parents that he is a Hindu. Not only a Hindu but a Brahmin. Not only a Brahmin but a Desast Brahmin. Sex within sex. Just like Chinese boxes, boxes within boxes. And the more he is narrowed, the more he becomes a prisoner. Because the box goes on becoming smaller and smaller. He was just like the sky when he was born. Then he became a Hindu. A small part of the sky. Then he became a Brahmin. A smaller box. Then he became desast. Even a smaller box. This goes on and on. And the society goes on forcing him into smaller boxes. And then he will live as a desast Brahmin. The whole life he will live with this box. He will carry this box around him. <coughs> this box is a grave. He must come out of these boxes. Only then he will know what real consciousness is. 
and then society gives concepts, then society gives prejudices, then society gives theories and philosophies and systems and religions, and then he will never be able to look directly. Always the society will be there to interpret. You are not aware when you say something is good. Are you there looking? Is this your feeling that something is good? Or just the interpretation of the society? Something is bad. Have you looked into it? and come to a conclusion that something is bad, or the society has simply taught you that this is bad. Look, a Hindu looking at cow dung thinks this is the purest thing possible in the world. Nobody in the world will think cow dung as the purest thing in the world. Cow dung is dung, excreta. But a Hindu looks at cow dung as the purest thing in the world. He can eat it happily. He eats it. Nobody can believe in the world that how Twenty crores Hindus can be befooled in this, but they are befooled. When a Hindu child is initiated, Panchamrat is given to him. A particular combination of five things. In those five things, cow dung is one, the urine of the cow is another. difficult. Nobody can believe that this is right, but they have their own prejudices. Put down your prejudices and look directly, but no society allows you to look directly. It always come in, comes in, and then it interprets, you are befooled by it. This man in the morning used to call, don't be befooled by others. And he will say, yes sir, yes sir, I will not be befooled by others. This has to be constantly remembered because the others are all around and they are befooling you in such subtle manners. And now the others have more power than ever through advertisement, through radio, through newspapers, through television, the others are manipulating you. In America, the whole market depends how you can befool the customer, how you can create an, an idea in the mind of others. Now, a two-car garage is a must. If you want to be happy, in America a two-car garage is a must. Nobody asks if you are not happy with one car, how you can be happy with two cars?
at least 50% happiness must be there with one car, then you can be happy with two cars. With one car you are unhappy, with two cars you will be doubly unhappy, that's all. The mathematics is simple. But advertisement, propaganda, the whole society exists in manipulating others. Happiness is somewhere like a commodity in the market. You go and purchase it. It has to be purchased. How happiness can be purchased? Happiness is not a commodity. It is not a thing. It is a quality of living. It is a consequence of an alert life. You cannot purchase it, there is no way. But look at American newspapers and you will see that you are missing. Just through money, happiness can be purchased. They create a feeling that you are missing something, then you start working for it, then you earn money and then you purchase and then you feel that you have been deceived. But that feeling is not very deep because before you feel you are deceived, some new deceptions has entered in the mind. Now they are pulling you ahead. You must have a hill station house or you must have a summer resort or you must have a yacht. Something always is there to be achieved, only then you will be happy. And they will go on pulling you up to your death. Until you die, those advertisements, that propaganda will go on pulling you. Right, this monk is right. This must be part of your alertness that you should not be befooled by others. The whole society exists on exploitation, exploiting the others, and everybody is exploiting you. And this exploitation is not only in the market, it is in the temple, in the church, in the synagogue. It is everywhere, because the priest is also a businessman. The Pope is also a super businessman. Because you need peace, you ask for peace, there are people who say, yes, come to us, we will give you peace. You ask for bliss, there are people who are ready to sell bliss to you. If people like Mahesh Yogi succeed in the West, they don't succeed in the East. Nobody listens to them in India. Nobody is bothered. But America listens to every type of nonsense. Once you get on the right channel of propaganda, once you get the hold of right advertisement people, then, then there is no problem. 
Mahesh Yogi talks in such a way as if the inner silence can be purchased immediately. Within a week you can find meditation. Just sitting by 15 minutes and repeating a mantra, you will be happy forever, forever. The American mind, which has been poisoned by advertisement, immediately is attracted. A crowd gathers. The crowd goes on changing, but there is always crowd. And it appears as, as if things are happening. Even temples and churches become shops. Meditation cannot be purchased and no one can give it to you. You have to achieve it. It is not something outer. It is something inner, a growth. And that growth comes through awareness. Call your own name in the morning, in the night, in the afternoon. Whenever you feel sleepy, call your own name and not only call, answer and say it loudly. Don't be afraid of others. You have been enough afraid of others. They have already murdered you through fear. Don't be afraid. Even in the marketplace, you remember, call your name, Tirtha. Are you here? And answer, yes, sir. I am here. Let people laugh. Don't be befooled by them. The only thing to be achieved is alertness. Not respect, not respectability from people. Because that is one of their tricks. They make you obedient through respectability. They say, we will respect you. You bow down and be obedient. You don't be there at all. You just follow the society. And the society will pay you much respect. And this is a mutual arrangement. More dead you are, the more society will pay respect. More alive, the more society will create trouble for you. Why? A Jesus is to be crucified because he was an alive man. And he must have called in his childhood, Jesus, don't be befooled by others. And he was not befooled, so others had to crucify him. Because he was not part of the game. Socrates has to be poisoned and killed. Mansur has to be murdered. These are people who have escaped from the prison. And whatsoever you say, you cannot persuade them to come back. They will not come in the prison. They have known the freedom of the open sky. Remember, be mindful and be alert. If you are alert, if your actions become more and more aware, whatsoever you do, you are not doing it sleepily. The holy foot of the society 
is to make you automatic, is to make you like automata, is to make you a perfect efficient mechanism. When you start learning driving, you are alert, but not efficient. Because alertness takes energy and you have to be alert of many things, of the gears, of the wheel, of the brake, accelerator, clutch, so many things you have to be aware. So you cannot be efficient, you cannot go fast. By and by, when you become efficient, you need not be aware. You can go on humming a song, or thinking inside, or solving a puzzle, and the car goes by itself. The body takes it automatically. The more automatic you become, the more efficient. And society needs efficiency. So it makes you more and more automatic. In everything you do, be automatic. Society doesn't bother about your awareness. Your awareness is a problem for the society. You are asked to be efficient, more productive. And machines are more productive than you. The society doesn't want you to be as men. It needs you as mechanical devices. So it makes you efficient and less aware. This is automatization. This is how the society fools you. You become efficient, but your soul is lost. If you can understand me, then the whole effort of meditative techniques is to de-automatize you, to make you again alert, to make you again man, not a machine. In the beginning you will become less efficient. So don't be bothered by it. In the beginning, everything will become a mess because everything has settled as an automata. In the beginning, everything will become a mess. You will not be able to do anything efficiently. You will feel difficulty because you have become fixed with unconscious efficiency. To be consciously efficient, Long effort will be needed. By and by, you will be aware and efficient. If there exists in future, if there is any possibility of a real human society, the first thing, the basic thing will have to be done will be this. Don't make children automatic. Even if it takes a little longer to make them efficient, but make them efficient with awareness. Don't make them machines. It may take a longer time because two things have to be learned, the efficiency and awareness. A human society will give you awareness even with less efficiency. That is work. But efficiency will come by and by when you are alert you will be able to be efficient with alertness. 
Meditation is de-automatization in the beginning. And then you start working with a new awareness. Efficiency remains in the body. The consciousness remains alert. You don't become a machine. You remain a man. And if you become a machine, you have lost all humanity. <laughs> this monk is doing this de-automatization. From the very morning, he calls himself and says, be alert, says, don't fool yourself, says, don't be fooled by others. These three layers of mindfulness had to be achieved. I have heard, once it happens, that a young man belonging to a very rich and aristocratic family came to a Zen master's. He had known everything. Indulge in every desire. He had enough money. So there was no problem. And then he got fed up. Fed up with sex, fed up with women, fed up with wine. He came to the same master and he said, No, I am fed up with the world. Is there some way so that I can be transformed? Is there some way so that I can know myself who I am? But before you say anything, the young man said, Let me tell you something about myself. I am indecisive and I cannot continue anything for long. So if you give me some technique or if you tell me to meditate, I may do it for a few days and then I will escape. Knowing well that there is nothing in the world, knowing well that only misery awaits there, death, but this is my type of mind that I cannot continue, I cannot persist in anything. So before you choose something, remember this. The Master said, then it is very difficult if you cannot persist. Because a long effort will be needed to undo all that you have done in the past. You have to travel back. It has to be a regression. And you have to reach back to the moment when you were born, when fresh, young, again that freshness has to be achieved. It is not ahead. Back you have to go and to become a child again. But if you say you cannot persist and within days you will escape, it is difficult. But let me ask you one question. The Master said, has you been ever interested in something so deeply that you are absorbed completely. The young man thought and he said, yes, only in chess, the game of chess, I have been very much interested. I love it. And that is the only thing that is saving me. Everything has fallen 
only chess is with me and I can somehow pass my time. The master said, then something can be done, you wait. He called the attendant and told him to bring one monk who has been meditating for twelve years in the monastery and tell the monk to bring a chess board. The chess board was brought, the monk came. He was acquainted a little bit with chess, but for twelve years he was meditating in the cell. He has forgotten about the world and the chess and everything. The master said to him that, listen now, this is going to be a dangerous game if you are defeated by this young man. The sword is here, I will cut your head. Because I don't like that a meditative monk who has been meditating for twelve years should be defeated by an ordinary young man. But I promise you, if you die by my hand, you will reach the highest heaven, so don't be disturbed. The young man also became a little uneasy, and then the master turned to him and said, Look, you say that you get absorbed in the chest, so get totally absorbed because this is a question of life and death. If you are defeated, I will cut your head. And remember, I cannot promise heaven for you. <laughs> this man is okay, he will go anyhow. But I cannot promise any heaven for you. If you die, hell is the place. Immediately you will go to the seventh heaven. For a moment the young man thought to escape, and this is going to be a dangerous game, and he has not come for it here. But then it looked dishonorable. He was a samurai, a son of a warrior. And just because of death, imminent death, to escape was not in his blood. So he said, okay, the game is started. The young man started trembling <coughs> as if a leaf in a strong wind. The whole body trembling, he started perspiring. A cold perspiration came to the body. He started sweating from the head to the soles of the feet. It was a question of life and death. Thinking stopped. Because whenever there is such emergency, you cannot afford thought. Thought is for leisure. When there is no problem, you can think. When there is really a problem, thinking is stops because mind needs time. And when there is emergency, there is no time. You have to do something immediately. 
And every moment death was coming near and the monk started. And he looked so serene and calm that the young man thought the death is certain. But he, when the thoughts disappeared, he became totally absorbed in the moment. When thoughts disappeared, he also forgot that death is awaiting, because that too is a thought. He forgot about death, he forgot about life, he became just a part of the game, absorbed, totally immersed in it. By and by, as the mind disappeared completely, he started playing beautifully. He had never played that way. In the beginning the monk was winning, but within minutes the young man got absorbed, started movements, beautiful, and the monk started losing. Only the moment adjusted, only the present. There was no problem then. The body became okay, trembling stopped, perspiration evaporated. He was light, like a feather, weightless. The perspiration even helped. He became weightless. The whole body felt as if he can fly. Mind was no more there. Perception became clear, absolutely clear. He could see ahead, five movements ahead. He had never played so beautifully. The other's game started crumbling. Within minutes the other will be defeated. His victory was certain. Then suddenly, when his eyes were clear, mirror-like, perception was profound, Deep, he looked at the monk. He was so innocent. Twelve years of meditation, he has become like a flower. Twelve years of austerity, he has become absolutely pure. No desire, no thought, no goal. No purpose existed for him. He was as innocent as possible. Not even a child is so innocent. His beautiful face, his clear blue sky eyes, and this young man started feeling compassion for him. Sooner or later, his head is to be cut. The moment he felt this compassion, Unknown doors opened. Something absolutely unknown started filling his heart. He felt so blissful. All over his, his inner being, flowers started falling. He felt so blissful. He had never known this bliss, this beautitude, 
this benediction. And then he started making wrong moves, knowingly. Because the thought came to his mind, if I am killed, nothing is destroyed, I have nothing worth. If this monk is killed, something beautiful is destroyed for me, a useless existence. He started making round moments consciously to make the monk win. At that moment the master upturned the boat, he started laughing and he said, nobody is going to be defeated here, you both have won. This monk is already in heaven, he has reached no need to cut his head. He was not troubled at all. When the master said, your head is to be cut, not a single thought arose in his mind. There was no question of choice. The master says, it is going to be so, it is okay. He said yes with his whole heart. That's why there was no perspiration, no trembling. He was playing the chess. That was not a problem. And the master said, you have won and your victory has been greater than this month. Now I will initiate you, you can be here and soon you will become enlightened. Because both basic things have happened, meditation and compassion. Buddha has called these two the basic prajna and karuna, meditation and compassion. The young man said, explain it to me. Something has happened, I don't know, I am already transformed. I am not the same young man who had come to you few hours before. That man is already dead. But something has happened, you have done a miracle. The master said, because death was so imminent, you couldn't think. Thoughts stopped. Death was so much on you. Thinking was not possible to be done. Death was so near, there was no gap between you and death. And thoughts need space to move, there was no space. So thinking stopped, meditation happened spontaneously. But that is not enough, because that type of meditation which happens because of emergency will be lost. When the emergency is gone, that meditation will be lost. So I couldn't throw the board at that moment, I had to wait. If meditation really happens, whatsoever the cause, compassion has to follow. Compassion is the flowering of meditation. If compassion is not coming, your meditation is somewhere wrong. 
And then I looked at your face. You were filled with bliss. And then your eyes became Buddha light. You looked at the mouth and you felt. And you thought it is better to sacrifice myself than this monk. This monk is more valuable than me. This is compassion. When the other becomes more valuable than me. This is love. When you can sacrifice yourself for the other. When you become the means and the other becomes the end. This is love. When you are the end and other is used as a means, this is lust. And lust is always cruel, and love is always compassionate. Then I saw in your eyes the compassion arising, and then you started making wrong movements, just to be defeated, so that you are killed and this monk is saved. At that moment I had to throw the boat. You had won. Now you can be here. I have taught you both meditation and compassion. Now follow this track. Let them become spontaneous in you. Not situational. Not dependent on an emergency. But just the quality of your being. Carry this story within you in your heart. Let it become your beats of the heart. Rooted in meditation, you will have wings of compassion. That's why I say to you, I would like you to give you two things. Roots into this earth and wings into that heaven. Meditation is this earth. It is here and now. This very moment you can spread your roots into it. And once roots are there, your wings will reach to the highest sky possible. Compassion is the sky. Meditation is the earth. And when meditation and compassion meet, a Buddha is born. Go deeper and deeper into meditation so that you can go higher and higher in compassion. The deeper the roots of a tree reach, higher the peak. You can see the tree, you cannot see the roots, but they are always in proportion. If the tree is reaching to the sky, the roots must be reaching to the very end of the earth. Same is the proportion. As deep your meditation, the same, the same death will be achieved in compassion. So compassion is the criterion. If you think you are meditative and there is no compassion, then you are deceiving yourself. The compassion must happen because that is the flowering of the tree. And meditation is just a means towards compassion. Compassion is the goal. 
make yourself more and more alert, call your own name and answers, just to create more awareness. When you will really become aware, you will feel a new upsurge of energy. Compassion will happen to you. And with compassion, bliss. With compassion, beatitude. With compassion, benediction. Anything more this? But one at the start of the camp you said you're moving into a new phase of your work and you felt it in the meditation and we've heard that the organization is changing. But most important, you have changed in the way you speak to us. At one time you never admitted to being enlightened and you never admitted to being a master, and they do. Could you tell us more about your new phase of work? I don't say only things which you become capable of hearing. It depends on you. If you have become a disciple, then I can say easily that I am a master. But if you are not a disciple, it will be just meaningless. Saying to you that I am a master. If somebody comes, who is just curious about me, I will not say this to him. It will be pointless. He will not understand, rather he will misunderstand. When you are ready to receive, only then I can give. Then now that you are ready, I can say many things which cannot be said to casual visitors. They are curious. Their curiosity is shallow. They have not come to receive something. Their mind functions in a childish way. Want to know everything and and they are not going to penetrate deeper in it. Now I can say many things to you because I know you will not misunderstand. Even if you don't understand, this much is certain you will not misunderstand. And this will be a new phase. It has already started because I will be working only with those who are sober, not fooling around. I will be working only with those who have really come to a point where they need transformation. Who? are really sincere and authentic seekers and are ready to do whatsoever I say. To them I can say I am enlightened. To them I can say I am a master. 
to do nothing, say, come to me and drink out of me, and you will not be thirsty ever. But this cannot be said to everybody. This cannot be said to somebody who is passing and just meets on the street. The more you get ready, the more I can pour myself into you. Before your parts were there, but upside down. Even if I had poured, it would have become a wastage. Now, many of you are in a situation. Now your parts are not upside down. Now they are right side up. Now I can pose. Now I can trust that you will take it as a treasure. That you will hide it. That you will share it only with those who are sincere. Who are in search. Many more secrets will be following. But they will follow only the more you get. But the faith, a new faith has started. I will not be working with the masses now. And I will be dropping all those who are just hanging around for other reasons, not for their spiritual growth. There are many types of people. Even they are not aware why they are hanging around me. But I know. I will be dropping them. Few and few will be accepted now. If I drop you, you will not be able to know that I dropped you because you will go on thinking you dropped me. That's how the ignorant mind always consoles itself. But now I will be working only with the few, choosing few. And as you get ready, much more secrets can be given to you. And I can talk easily. And I can be true. I will not say a lie to you. I will not say what you want to hear, now I will say what is really to be said to you. And don't wait for the future, because nobody knows about the future. This very moment, open yourself as much as you can, so you can receive me. I will tell you one anecdote. It happened that one of the most famous European bankers failed me. Rothschild, the head of the family, Baron Rothschild, was standing in his garden one day. And man looking like a beggar. 
Pedrus came to him and came to him to purchase the lottery tickets. And he said, come on, take a chance. But then he wanted to get rid. He said, what should I do with a lottery ticket? I don't wait, I have got enough. The pendant said, no one has got enough. Take a chance. Who knows, you may win it. Just to get rid of the nuisance, he purchased the ticket. Next the morning, the man knocked again and he said, look, you have won. One million dollars. The baron was very much pleased and he said, I suppose I must avoid you. Then the baron thought and he said, what he will choose? I can give you $25,000 right this minute or $10,000 per year for your own life. The man was not more than 30-35. He was perfect in his health. He is going to live at least 30-40 years, even more. 40 years, $10,000 per year. It comes to $400,000. And right now, $25,000. The partner thought for a single moment, he said, you please give me $25,000 right now. Even the baron was perfect. He said, you, you think over, what are you doing? Whole life, I say, $10,000 per year. The man said, I will choose 25000 right now. Because looking at the luck you Rothschilds have, if I choose the other alternative, I will not be alive six months. Looking at the Luck, luck times have. I will not learn for six months more. You give me right now, the next moment is uncertain. You don't waste time. And that's what I say to you. Right this moment, I am here available. for the future because nobody knows. Open your heart, become more receptive, get attuned. Everything is possible. At this moment, I can give you the key. Now get ready for it. Because it is not a question.
just for being alive, just for being able to be meditative and just for being able to be in compassion, you feel simply grateful. That gratefulness is not towards anybody, it is towards the whole. If you feel grateful towards me, it is the gratitude of the mind. If you meditate and if you flower in compassion, you will feel simply grateful, not grateful towards me. Then there is no towards. You simply feel grateful. towards all. And when you feel grateful towards all, that is real gratefulness towards me, never before it. Then it is a choice. You choose me. Then your master becomes a point, not the whole. That's what is happening everywhere. Disciples get fixed with the masters and masters help them to be fixed. That's not good, that's ugly. When you really flower, then your perfume is not addressed to anybody. When you really flower, the perfume goes in all directions. It simply moves in all directions. And whosoever passes near you is filled with your fragrance. He carries your fragrance. And if nobody passes you, then on that silent, lonely path, your fragrance goes on spreading. But it is not addressed. Remember, Mind is always addressed, being is never addressed. Mind is always moving towards something, being is simply moving towards us. It is a movement without goal. Goal exists because of motive. You move towards something because there is desire. When there is no desire, how can you move towards anything or anybody? Then you move, movement is there but no motivation. Then you move in all directions. Then you overflow. Then your master is everywhere. Then I am everywhere. And only when this point comes, you are freed from the master arts. Then you are freed of all relationship. You are freed of all prisons, of all bondages. And if a master cannot free you from himself, he is not a master at all. So you need not do anything for me. You do something for you. Meditation, compassion, that is done for me. And then the fragrance will come 
and not caught by the mind. Right now you think, then you will feel what should we do. Then it is mind. How to pay the master? He has done so much for you, what we should do? This is mind. Thinking in terms of giving and taking. No, this mind won't help. One thing you can do for me to drop this mind. Allow your being to a flowering. Then you will be fragrant. <coughs> then all the dimensions and all the directions in the whole will be happy. You will be a bliss. And your gratitude will not be narrow. It will not be towards the point. It will be moving all over, everywhere. Only then you achieve prayer. This gratitude is prayer. When you go in a temple and do a prayer, it is not prayer. But when after compassion, gratitude arises, the whole existence becomes the temple. Whatsoever you touch, it becomes a prayer. Whatsoever you do, it becomes prayerful. You cannot be otherwise. Re deeply rooted, anchored in meditation. Deeply flowing into compassion. You cannot be otherwise. You become prayer. You become gratitude. But remember, mind is always addressed. It has a goal, a desire to achieve. Being is unaddressed. It has no goal. It has nothing to achieve. The kingdom of being is already achieved. The emperor is already there on the throne. You move because movement is life. But you don't move towards any goal. And when there is no goal, there is no tension. Then movement is beautiful, graceful. Enough.